The Old Testament lesson for Quinquagesima is from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you go on the computer or on your phone nowadays, you can start to type something in and the computer will make all kinds of suggestions, guessing what it is that you mean, autocomplete. It'll fill in the blanks for you. And that's always an interesting thing because when you start to type something in in the Google search engine, it'll fill in maybe not what you're thinking, but what everybody else is thinking. And so I like to do this every so often. So I typed in just recently, deep down inside, we are all... Do you know what it said, what it filled in the blank? We're all good at heart. Deep down inside, we're all good at heart. That was one of the top results. I picked it out because it was suitable for my sermon. We're all good at heart. Deep down inside, we're all good at heart. Now, that is a very common sentiment, a very common sentiment, that really, if we could just cut through the layers, cut through the surface things, the superficial stuff, and we could all discover our common humanity, we would recognize that we're all really good people. We're all really after the same good things, and we could all just get along if we could cut down to the deep parts of our heart. Maybe, maybe there are some exceptions to that, some particularly nasty people who do things that you find particularly objectionable. Maybe you've got a list in your head of people who you know are really not good, deep down in their hearts, but by and large, we love to think 
We'd love to think that everyone is pretty much okay. There are some historical events that seem to illustrate this, so I was reading about the truces that happened at odd times like Christmas during World War I where the British and the German soldiers got together and sang Christmas carols. I watched a music video. Paul McCartney wrote a song about it. I watched a music video of Paul McCartney talking about how peace is possible if we can all recognize that we're all made of the same stuff. Now, of course, the irony of Paul McCartney's music video is that he was the lead role for both the British Army and the German Army. He was the captain on both sides, which is either saying that we're all made of the same stuff or the only person you can really get along with is yourself. I'm not sure which it is. But this sentiment is so common. You can see it all over the place. And if it were the case that deep down inside we're all really good at heart, then what we heard in our Old Testament lesson about how God sees, that would be really good news. Listen again to what God says to Samuel. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If deep down inside we are all good at heart, then that is the best news possible. While we all make false judgments about one another, God really, he looks on the inside and he sees how I really am. And that's a good thing. Of course, you know that it's not true. You know that deep down inside, we are far worse than we appear on the outside. In fact, people are generally pretty good at polishing up what appears on the outside. That's what we're going to talk about this Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, polishing up what people see on the outside, hiding within corruption and sin and selfishness and hate. It's what's on the inside that's really the problem. If what we see on the outside is bad, then what's on the inside must be far, far worse. Jesus explains this to the Pharisees. He describes to them what they're doing as kind of like taking a cup and cleaning the outside of the cup but leaving the inside of it dirty or taking a tomb where some dead body is buried and whitewashing the outside of it. He says it's not the outside that's the problem. It's what's on the inside. This is what Jesus says. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, from hearts like yours and mine. And that makes this news about how God sees not good news at all. If the Lord sees what's in the heart, then we all have another thing coming. Now, when God looks at the heart, when God looks at the heart, he knows what he will find. That's no surprise to him. He knows what he will find. He can see your heart better than you can. His word, as we heard in the hymn today, is a piercing two-edged sword. He can cut straight to the core of you. He knows what's inside of you. So here's an interesting question that we have to take up then. As God is looking for a king for his people, what is he looking for in the heart of David? Why is it a good thing? What does God see in the heart of David? Now, it's helpful in order to answer that question to look at the whole story. So God's people had no king. And they looked around them and they saw that all of the other nations had kings who they could see and who they could appeal to and who would lead armies. And they thought to themselves, we'd like a king like the rest of the nations. God, give us a king. And the prophet Samuel rebuked them. 
He said, you don't want a king. You don't want a human king. God is your king. Why would you want a human king? He's going to do all kinds of terrible things. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's going to be awful, Samuel said, if you get a king. But God told Samuel, you should let them have what they want. Maybe that'll learn them a lesson. And so Samuel anointed Saul to be king. Now Saul looked like a king. By all outward appearances, he seemed like the kind of guy who would be a good king. He was taller than everybody else. He was bold and brave and courageous. He did what needed to be done. God's instructions to Saul were very simple. Put your hand to whatever task lies in front of you. And Saul did it. He did it. He led the people, fought against their enemies, and he seemed to be a good king. But then he started to slip. He slipped in this way, not simply that he made mistakes or that he committed sins. That's true of all of us. We all make mistakes. We all commit sins. But here is how Saul began to slip. When he sinned, he was not sorry. When he sinned, he was proud. He said to himself, I did my best. I did what I thought I should do. That was not a problem at all. So God had given him some instructions through Samuel. Don't offer a sacrifice. Wait seven days. Samuel's going to come and he will offer the sacrifice. And Saul waited seven days and the clock was ticking and he thought, I need to get on with business. So he offered the sacrifice himself. At which moment, God's timing is impeccable. At which moment, Samuel showed up and said, Saul, what are you doing? I told you to wait. And Saul said, well, I thought offering a sacrifice to God would be a good thing. I thought it would be good for me to take this upon myself. Don't you see I was doing what I thought was right? And he was not sorry at all for having disobeyed God's word. Saul committed sins like that, but worse than the sins was his refusal to repent, his refusal to be sorry for them. Instead, his pride, digging in his heels, saying that he had done what was right, what was good, that it wasn't really so bad. Saul had a hard heart. Throughout the Bible, we see lots of people with hard hearts, and things do not go well for them. Maybe you remember the story of Pharaoh, who hardens his heart against God's word. God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. And God tries to convince Pharaoh with plagues and with threats, and Pharaoh says, no and no and no, all the more hardening his heart until he is undone entirely by God's word. That's what Saul was like. And that is not, that is not the kind of heart that God is looking for. Not a hard and stony heart, but instead a heart like this. A heart that can be broken. And that's a strange thing to say. God is looking for the kind of heart that can be broken. Usually breakable things we throw away. Things that are broken we toss into the heap. But God is looking for hearts that can be broken so that he can replace them. So he can put a new one, a living heart, a heart that is loving what God commands and following his will so he can put that kind of a heart in its place. That is what God looks for among his people. And you can see this in David. So David committed sins which are perhaps on their their face, outwardly, more grievous than Saul's sins. Saul didn't follow God's commands. He didn't follow the instructions God gave him. He was proud and a little bit lazy as a king in the end. But David, you know what David did? One day when he was not out to battle with his army, he looked across the city and saw on the rooftop of another house another man's wife bathing, and he desired her. 
to take her for his own. And so he did. He took her as his own wife, and then, when it was discovered because she was pregnant, he conspired to murder her husband, hid the crime, put it away, covered it up so that no one would know. Heaping sin upon sin upon sin, far worse, I think, at face value at least, than offering a sacrifice out of order and at the wrong time. But when Nathan the prophet came to David and said, you've committed a grievous sin, he told him a story and convinced David that he had done wrong. When David heard that he was a man who had grieved God's heart, his heart broke. David's heart broke. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He knew that there was now nothing that stood between him and God's judgment. He knew that he had disappointed his heavenly father in the worst way imaginable, that he had taken all of the good gifts that God had given him, all of the blessings God had given him, and thrown them away by grasping after something that God had not given to him. He knew what he had done, and he was brokenhearted. He made no excuses. He didn't stand on his pride. He didn't cover things up any longer. Instead, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. That is the kind of heart that God wants to see. A heart that can be broken. Listen to how Isaiah describes it. The Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and the place of my rest? All these things, the whole world, my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Contrite in spirit. That simply means sorry for your sins. Sorry for the ways you've broken God's heart. Sorry for the ways you've grieved him. Sorry and without excuse. Sorry and recognizing that there is nothing between you and God's judgment unless he is merciful. A kind of heart that trembles at his word. David prays this way. When he is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Those are not the kinds of things God looks for from a heart, sacrifices and offerings. Instead, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The Lord does not see as man sees, looking on the outward appearance. Instead, God looks at the heart, and he knows what is in the heart of man, and that is why what he hopes for from you and me is that our hearts would be broken. Broken by our sin, broken by the ways we've grieved God, broken by the ways we've tossed away his blessings and grasped at things that don't belong to us, broken by the way we've hoped in things that are hopeless and trusted in things that cannot deliver. That is true contrition. That's true sorrow over sin. It's not false. You should pay attention to the fact that there is such a thing as false contrition, false brokenheartedness. So there is a moment when Saul says, at long last to Samuel, he says, okay, fine, I've sinned. Can we move on now? Which is not true contrition, not true sorrow over your sin. Okay, fine, I admit it, I'm done, I've sinned. Okay, can we just move on? That's not what sorrow looks like. Instead, it looks like this. It looks like that blind man that we heard about today, sitting by the side of the road, sitting by the side of the road knowing that he is blind, not denying it, knowing that unless the Lord gives him sight, unless the Lord heals him and makes him whole, he is just going to remain there forever. 
he will never see. That's what it is to acknowledge your sin. Without God's grace, without God's mercy, it is sin upon sin upon sin and more sin straight to hell. And so, be like that blind man who, when he sees Jesus or hears Jesus coming, says, Son of David, have mercy on me. O Lord, I have sinned. Lord, have mercy. That's what we do every Sunday when we come to church. We stand and we say, I have sinned against you, O Lord. Let your contrition, let your sorrow, let your confession of sins be genuine. Look into your hearts and see that there is not good there. Deep down inside, we are not all not good, but we are all made of the same stuff, the same sinful stuff from which we must be rescued if we are going to make it at all. That is what Christ has come to do. He has come to give you the love that St. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. If you were to hold up that love before your face as a mirror, you would see your sin. Love is patient and kind. You can stop there. Love never demands its own way. Love hopes all things, endures all things. That's not us. But it is Jesus. It is Jesus. That is what he has come to give to you. His love for you, which covers all of your sins. That's what we heard before we, we saw that blind man sitting on the side of the road. He spoke to his disciples what he had come to do. I have come to be handed over to sinners so that they can crucify me so that I can die for you. To rescue you from your sinful hearts. To mend your broken hearts. To make them new and whole. That is what he has come to do. Let that blind man's prayer be yours. Son of David, have mercy on me. God grant you grace. God grant you grace to be brokenhearted so that he can give you new and clean hearts. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.